if you're if you're sort of for example if you're a VC and you know not a VC because when a VC you're always investing in someone who you think has the combination of those things but if you're an idea generator right if you're saying hey I'd like this thing to happen in the world whether it's philanthropic or or commercial there's a real risk that then you know half of the problem is done you've had the idea the other half of the problem is whose hands are you going to put it in right is it just work to them were they assigned to that right or is it like the most interesting and exciting thing they've ever done and they really get it and this is just amazing to them and i guess what i've learned is that is if you get confused about that you'll almost certainly be on the wrong side of of the result right so if you say look this idea is perfect let me just assign a team to it it's probably not going to work out and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's great to have you here. I hope you're all safe and well. I'm thrilled to bring on to the show uh, Mark Shuttleworth. How are you doing, Mark? Very good. Nice to speak with you again, Jono. Yeah, it's, it's, good. it's good to have not only someone who I respect, but also a, a good friend on the show. L- let me go through the rap sheet. I think a lot of people are going to know who you are, uh, but some people may not. So let's dig into this. So back in 1995, you founded Thought Consulting, which was a company that focused on digital certificates and internet security. And you had a, a very nice exit when, when Thought was sold to VeriSign. Um, you then went on to form HBD Venture Capital. HBD, for those people who don't know, is Here Be Dragons, which is kind of your moniker, <laughs> which was a business incubator in VC. Um, and then, of course, you went on to form Canonical back in March 2004, which is the company behind the extremely popular uh, Ubuntu, which powers a significant chunk of the internet and Linux desktops and devices and all kinds of stuff. Um, it will be remiss if I didn't mention that you were the very first South African in space. You were up there for about just under 10 days, if I remember right, um, as part of the Russian Soyuz TM-34 mission. And you also founded the Shotworth Foundation, which is an incredible nonprofit that does lots of amazing work in social innovation and free and open source software, uh, a lot of great work in, in South Africa. So you haven't had a boring life, Mr. Shuttleworth. <laughs> life, is, uh, life is short. We should fill it up, shouldn't we? Exactly. And now, um, you know, many people will know this, but I used to work for you. And, uh, and I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I, I, I have an enormous amount of thanks towards you for, for the impact that you had on my career and teaching me about, about communities and businesses and, and, and open source and all kinds of different pieces. But let's go back to the beginning, uh, especially with Canonical. Like a, a, lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs will have a company, they'll sell the company, they'll have a good exit, and then they'll kind of get back into the ring again. Um, what was it about starting Canonical and building Ubuntu was your primary motivation? You'd spent some time you know, in the Debian project as, as a developer, but what was it specifically about starting that initiative that kind of got you excited? Um, well, it took a couple of years. So I, I sold Thought in, in 99 and, um, and Canonical only really got started in 2004. So, you know, I had four years of, of um, plotting, uh, wanderlust <laughs> going to space, you know, doing the fun and right. crazy stuff. But I also, I got pulled into a bunch of things in terms of like global tech policy, working with um, governments and the UN, kind of trying to figure out, you know, how to make the world a better place, right? Um, I was very conscious of the fact that um, 
you know, I was a very privileged in a very privileged situation, right? I, I had means, I had independence, um, uh, a little bit of fame, had a taste of that, um, bit a bit of a brain, and so I, I felt, you know, a, a, I didn't want to do something that didn't that wasn't going to have a really meaningful impact in the world, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what that would be, um, and and open source had really been central to to the story, you know, to my story as a kid in Cape Town, right? Um, miles away from Silicon Valley, miles away from, you know, the epicenter of technology at the time, the States, um, and yet able to kind of get into the game and do something interesting. You know, it was a long shot, but it found its mark. Uh, and all of that had really been possible because of the, the contributions of so many people to open source. And so I started thinking really about, uh, a combination of, of 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 things. Could I could I do something that would make open source more accessible to future people with similar interests, right? People who wanted to invent something, or who you know could be entrepreneurs who could change the world in some way and use open source to do it. If if we could lower the 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 friction, you know, reduce the friction, lower the barriers to to adoption of open source, and then also just to people you know who didn't have. The, the the means to afford what was then quite expensive software, right? Um, and so, you know, that was a sort of philanthropic set of goals. I thought, okay, that's a really meaningful existence. Can we can we unlock innovation all over the world by by um, simplifying open source? And I like a challenge, right? Can I do all of that, give it away, and then find a way to make it sustainable, right? So, you know, it's a bit like the game of NetHack. If you if you manage to ascend, you then you know, decide what well, can I ascend as a vegetarian, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Canonical is trying to ascend as a vegan, atheist, uh, 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 pacifist, right? <laughs> you uh, have your quote right there, people. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, when you were going through that, I remember, I, I remember first hearing about you um as this kind of mysterious guy who was kind of uh who was starting this mysterious this mysterious startup and um you 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 kind of came into i think the recognition within the open source world with quite a bump you know you were you were building an interesting operating system it was very very open you were starting out with open community governance that's one of the things that attracted me to this it felt like it was being done in the right way and i think a lot of people resonated with that but what was that like at the time because you know the open source community are not lacking in opinions um what was it like to kind of be in the middle of the magnifying glass for a whole new set of people at that time um well in, in a sense it was easy because you know to to all the folks who were who were the big dogs on the scene, you know, something new was irrelevant, right? So, you know, people have ideas all the time. It's hard to know what's going to stick and what's going to grow and what, and what won't. So I don't think, I don't think people were inclined to sort of spend a lot of time criticizing something that had, hadn't done anything interesting yet. Right. So we could frame the ideas and, and attract people to those ideas without a torrent of criticism. So in, in a sense, really, it was quite easy. If you were there, you were there. We, 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 we you know, I started speaking in the Debian uh, community and in the broader open source community, and people got enthused about that set of ideas, and, and we were able to kind of come together um, and, 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 and shape that without really a lot of um, uh, sledging or, or, you know, counter-revolution reaction, right? 
because because you know why would why would anybody think that 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 would would pick up steam at the time you know Linux was pretty much a done deal right that was that was Red Hat and SUSE yeah it's 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 kind of interesting as well I think your credibility I think was was in many ways sealed a lot back then because of your affiliation with Debian you know who I think for a lot of people many people looked at Debian as thinking like this is a this is a great way to build open source again. It's very community centric, and then you you started you know you started playing more and more in that in that kind of world. But the open source community is at times um, small pockets of it have uh, have been quite suspicious of businesses and quite suspicious of corporate investment. We're seeing this, I think, a lot today. Uh, again, a lot in small parts of the community, but with with large scale businesses like Google and Amazon increasingly investing in open source. Did you see much of that back then? Because it seemed like this was a much more innocent time, you know, back in those um, days. Well, there's always that. There's always that meme, and it's a well. It's a well. Um, I mean, it's a it's a concern that has a basis in fact, right? You know, businesses businesses change direction. They change leaders. Um, they change for better. They change for the worst. And so, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to say, you know, can I count on on uh, on on a business and and I would say you can you can count on an entity for certain things but you can't count on any entity for for everything right um, and I think I think for me it, it, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a, well so I'd been a Debian developer for nearly a decade at that point right I was a DD I think maybe ninety six. Um, and for, by the way, for people who don't know what a DD, a Debian developer is, it's an officially recognized de- uh, developer in the Debian project. And, and it should be noted that it is no, you can't be a slouch to be a DD. It's a lot of very, very technical focused work. So I just wanted to provide that context for people who aren't familiar with it, but carry on. Well, to be fair, when I became a DD, it was, the bar was a lot lower. Otherwise, I'm not sure <laughs> right. I would enable. But um, so, what was interesting about Debian is that it, it formed around um, a, a combination of, of of clearly articulated values and a very clear kind of emphasis on on technical competence in 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 in, in very precise things that are hard to do. So it attracted a particular crowd, right, that um, wanted to work. In a community, but also wanted to work very correctly and and and, and properly, um, and I really believed in that. It was Debian that I had used to build Thought. It had you know worked very well. I'd been part of Debian and contributed to it in a very small way. Um, so the interesting thing for me was you know when when Linux turned proprietary in the late nineties, um, I really thought that this would be over you know over and done and dusted very quickly that that little experiment would fail, and I was completely wrong. Right. What I actually watched, you know, from a distance, I was quite busy and then I was distracted and then I was in space and blah, blah, blah. But from a distance, what I observed was that actually the the pure community approach really started to struggle. You know, there was a lot of dissent within Debian itself. It was, it was hard to it was hard to get things done. Um, and, and businesses just absolutely flocked to the proprietorized Linux. Um, which of course fed a lot of cash to those companies, and they were able to really pull ahead very, very quickly. And and so for me, that was a sort of big lesson. I thought there were huge technical and social advantages to the Debian way, but but at, in the end, it was it was really struggling. So come two thousand and four, I sort of felt, well, okay, can we find a best of both worlds situation? Can can I essentially, as I started to understand 
you know, what Debian was really great at socially, technically, and which it continues to be really great at, right? Can I essentially create almost like a, uh, um, uh, the other side of the coin where we bring some of those things that, that, that the enterprise market, the, the buying market effectively also appreciates because I started to see why effectively it was impossible for that market to consume directly from Debian, right? And so it's kind of interesting because you realize that you can't just essentially throw money at Debian, right? You can't just throw money at a nonprofit institution and expect it to become something different. At, at, at worst, you might destroy it, right? At, you know, at worst, you might actually tear it apart because it, it's trying to be two things at the same time. The interesting thing is, can you create a, a, a different entity that shares those values, builds on the work, feeds back, as I believe we have always done, continue to do, right? That opens up essentially um, uh, uh, a line of access to to uh, money and innovation and demand and 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 publicity and so on, which a pure community project on its own would struggle to do. And so that was part of the sort of interesting entrepreneurial challenge and philanthropic, you know, benevolent challenge of this whole exercise. Right now. You know, you know, things can get controversial. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be people who say that, you know, Ubuntu's existence is, is, is the bane of Debian and things would be much better if we'd never shown up. But I don't believe that. I right? don't buy that. Yeah. <laughs> no, come on. I think the combination is, is, is very effective, right? Great technical foundations and a, a real ability to, to, to serve the market, which we try to anchor in, 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 in good values. Now, what's I think what's interesting here is, you know, as open source has continued to grow and evolve, we've learned more and more about how we do it well and and how we don't do it well. Uh, but today, there are lots of businesses who start a project and they want to get um, they want to kind of attract the developers who are kind of well known, who are influential in the open source space. Um, you know, you see this, for example, within the CNCF. There's a lot of kind of uh, positioning and people really companies trying to to make the best possible impact in certain areas what's to me is interesting is when you did this and this was you know many years ago um you managed to get some very very well known well respected members of different communities in debian in gnome people like scott james remnant jeff warren other people to come and join the team was that for you kind of a um, a validation that this could potentially work because i imagine that was a big step was can i get just can i hire some of the right people to kind of come in and and join me on this vision what was that kind of process like that was just so much fun I bet. it was you know <laughs> a, 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 in a sense you know work and play when when they become the same thing that's that's a good that's time <laughs> just good fun yeah <laughs> um and it, you, you know it the the desktop at that stage really was the the frontier right this this was this was the nut that i think a lot of people wanted to crack um uh articulating a, a kind of a game plan to be serious about that um attracted people who you know had the combination combination of technical chops to to pull that off but also a desire to do it uh, in a way that would you know benefit um um, the widest possible audience. So I, you know, I think I think 
that kind of mission appealed to a really interesting crowd. Um, and that, that was a very fun time. Um, was it was it when you were having those conversations with those original because I think it's just an interesting I think a lot of this can be applied today I, I, I assume that when you were having those conversations the thing that they were probably most passionate about was the contribution to open source the contribution to free software it's building something that is going to fill a gap that doesn't exist was it primarily that or was there even discussion back then about the commercialization and how you're going to make money from this? Or was it all just, let's just build some amazing software? No, um, uh, you know, they had to be for it, not just to be, uh, uh, you know, a charity and therefore vulnerable forever. It, it need, we needed to have some sort of um, game plan. Um, and, and you know, the game plan was pretty simple. It was build Netflix, build Spotify, build Dropbox. Um, you know, that'll, that'll, that'll work. Um, it was clear to me that the, the business model of software would shift to subscription services. And so in, in that world, then a free platform, you know, Mac OS wasn't free at the time, right? Windows certainly wasn't free. So a free platform um, could work commercially if, if there was a portfolio of, of um, compelling services that people would subscribe to. Um, and and that big idea was spot on, right? I mean, nowadays those things all exist. It's kind of obvious. Um, what 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 what's amazing is is how many different ways I failed. Though knowing what I could see clearly, we still spectacularly failed, and and some of the failures were kind of obvious. First, um, any sort of service is going to be more successful if it reaches more of the audience, right? So if you have 1% of the world's users and somebody else has 90% of the world's users, well, then a service that reaches 90% of the world's users is going to have an easier time of it. Um, uh, and so so I, I felt very, it was very clearly that we needed to build a new operating system because historically, like through the 90s, through the 80s and 90s, um, there had only been one PC operating system. And so whatever you try to launch outside of that, you know, they could effectively, you know, be late, late and then either um, clone it or acquire it, right? So, so innovation had a really hard time in a world of there being a single personal computing platform. Um, uh, so that what I didn't foresee was iOS. What I didn't foresee was um, the fact that they would emerge an entire, like essentially another pole in the personal computing universe. And it was that that meant that people who focused just on the service could deliver it simultaneously to the phone and the desktop, right? To iOS, later to Android and to Windows. And that, and that no, no one of the OS platforms could just crush that because they didn't, they didn't control personal computing in the way that personal computing had been dominated before, right? So, so that, of course, changed the game. Um, I, I'd made the mistake of, of essentially, by not foreseeing that, thinking that well, we'll have to have a platform so that we can essentially, you know, build the services model around a platform that can't be either blocked or crushed. Um, the the second big mistake was just I didn't anticipate how much capital those sorts of businesses would consume. I mean, if you look at how much capital Netflix has consumed, how much capital Spotify has consumed, how much capital Dropbox consumed. And how little they've generated in terms of profits over that time, right? So, you know, I was just a kid. I thought a couple of hundred million dollars was a lot of money back then, right? <laughs> right. Um, and 
then, you know, the last two decades, we've just seen epic amounts of capital thrown at these next generation business models, right? Uber, Netflix, Dropbox, uh, Spotify. So, you know, I completely failed to, to sort of appreciate <laughs> that I was really a, a minnow. If, if fearless fist in the face of Microsoft was, <laughs> was really just the start of the problems. Um, and then the last thing is a bit more serious. I, I kind of fail to understand how hard it is to build really good software, really good software, right? Um, and so, you know, Canonical had a, you know, we built a couple of things that were really quite poorly constructed, right? Um, and that's a good, hard lesson to learn, right? You have to realize that just being enthusiastic isn't enough. Just having the right idea isn't enough. Just, you know, being open source isn't enough. Yeah. Right? It's the packet, right? That actually at the end, there's some really hard things that you have to get right. Um, and everybody's got opinions and everybody's got, you know, ideas. But if you're building, you know, shoddy stuff, well, it'll get torn down uh, and it won't last. So, you know, those have been a bunch of hard lessons. Um, do, but, do you, you think know. you could have, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think you could have known those things back then though? Because, I mean, it strikes me that through that period of time in those earlier days of Ubuntu, I mean, you touched on it. Like it was, it was a new frontier. Do you think those lessons could have even been learned back then, or do you think it's just you have to go through that journey to figure out that that was a mistake? I sometimes wonder. I sometimes wonder whether sort of moving to Silicon Valley um, would have given me access to a more kind of in-person crowd that could have taught me faster. Right, like being distributed. Sometimes it makes it hard to learn to a certain extent, right? People are, you know, arguing over IRC or phone. Or, you know, it's not very, it's not, it's not a, it's not a great way to learn. It's a great way to keep doing what you know how to do well, right? Like, uh, like uh, a layer on Debian, we could do that well because you know we we, we all knew Debian, right? But building things that had never been built before, that was hard, right? Um, you know, in the bones of there's there's greatness in the bones of you know distributed version control. Well, we try to take that seriously before anybody else, right? Um, uh, like a, a really big um, distributed uh, uh, um, um, collaboration platform. There had been SourceForge before, um, but we didn't build GitHub, right? Um, Ubuntu one. Uh, uh, the, you know, the, 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 there was goodness in there, but we didn't we didn't ace it. And it took me a long time to really understand, you know, that, you know, every engineer feels that they're doing it the best way because why would you why would you do anything badly, right? But not every engineer can really ace it. Um, and so that that obviously sets up for a lot of drama and conflict and and um, and interesting management and leadership, right? But you, you, you ultimately really have to be willing to call, make the call on stuff that's just not good enough, not just not getting built well enough to, to, to survive the test. Well, and it's got to be, it's got to be difficult as well. Like trying to put myself in your position where you're not just running, um, a company that's got a, a significant amount of people very interested in it and, and really, really wanting it to be successful but it, you're kind of a figurehead of a community and you almost you've almost kind of become um i don't know what the best way of describing it is but you're kind of a a notable figure in the open source world people are very interested in in your perspectives and what you're doing that's a lot of pressure for an individual and one thing i was curious about was 
you know, you weren't born and raised in Silicon Valley. You, I don't know if you grew up around entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs building businesses. I certainly didn't. You know, I was born and raised in Northern England. It's a million miles away from Silicon Valley. Did you feel throughout this period and just kind of continuing, do, have you felt a bit of an outsider or that you had a, a disadvantage in some ways because you weren't born and raised in that environment? Or do you feel like you've been able to kind of like fit in and, and make it work? Business was an accident for me. I, I was raised um, uh, far away from business. My dad's a doctor, mom's a teacher. Uh, and in fact, I was, I was always kind of, and, and, but I went to a school where there were a lot of kids of, of successful business people. And in fact, I always had a bit of a, a, bit of a, a paranoia that really I knew nothing about business and I should stay as far away from that as possible. I signed up for university to do maths and physics because I thought I could be quite good at those. Um, but then I noticed that there was a bit of a gender sort of situation on campus coming from an all boys high school and to a, you know, a, a university campus. I noticed that over there in the commerce faculty, things seemed a lot healthier. And so I sort of threw caution to the wind and, and went and got a business degree. Um, um, but even then, you know, I, I, you know, you, you can read stuff in textbooks. It doesn't necessarily make you feel like you've got a knack for it. Um, uh, I knew I was quite lucky with thought, um, but I also then realized that at the end of the day, business is a kind of engineering, right? You've got to, you've got to pull pieces together that, that are good in themselves and that work well as a whole. Um, uh, um, I, think, I think there is something special about Silicon Valley, um, the intense focus on innovation, the intense focus on money, right? Um, it attracts people who want to bring those two things together. It is intensely short term. And so I think a very difficult place to do something, which in the, in, in the end is going to be a long-term thing. You know, if, if you look at what Canonical is, what Ubuntu is, okay, let's, let's build an operating system. That's hard. Let's give it away. That's hard. Let's do it every six months. That's hard. And then it's, you know, find a way to make that sustainable. Well, with hindsight, that was always going to be a long-term proposition. I think it would have felt like much more failure over 15 years if I was in Silicon Valley, right? Whereas there was much more to celebrate over those 15 years being an outsider, right? Um, uh, it was easier to focus on the things that we were just like. I, I actually, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, 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 this is a complete hypothesis. I actually don't know if Ubuntu would have had the same resonance to this day if it had been created and born in a Silicon Valley machine. Um, I think something that was, has always been unique about Ubuntu and about Canonical is, is it, it's, it's a different approach. Um, and that kind of leads me to a question, which is, you know, Silicon Valley obsesses over, like you said, short-term, super high-growth um, high-performance businesses. And when Canonical was kind of kicking off, and especially in recent years, I mean, the the growth of Ubuntu and the growth of the different products and services that you've built has really had a profound impact on infrastructure, especially. Um, that, I imagine, would put you right in the sights of a lot of VCs um, and a lot of investors. I'm not asking you to get into specifics, but just how have you approach that because I think some people can look at VC as um, potentially um, a great supporting function of a business, but it could also be 
a potential poison that can infect um, your independence and all those different elements. Yes, I mean we're way past VC now, right? So, so that idea of sort of taking money on a speculative basis, you know, that's long behind us now, right? The the, the I funded the speculation, um, and I think that's right. You know, I think you know if you believe the world works out for particular reasons, you know, maybe I got that money so that I would go fund that speculation, right? You know, nobody else would. <laughs> um, uh, so, so we're way past VC now. Um, uh, four years ago, three, 2017, you know, we had w- w- things really came to a head, and I started to realize, okay, this is this is kind of out of control. We're doing too many things. You know, it's it's too hard to talk to people about being successful because they're quite attached to being free. I need to figure a way to kind of do a hard reset, preserve what I can of what I think the real values are. You know be a little bit less of a lifestyle for for people who don't necessarily want to be in a in a business retain the ability for people who want to be in a business but want to work on something that has sort of a deeper meaning to it like to be true to that but now get sort of aligned around being a business so you know that was a tough time we laid off 200 something people i hated that it was the worst thing i have ever ever had to do um Personally, I, I I didn't know for a year if 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 I you know Claire would ask me if we were going to lose the house right, so that was that was a tough time, um, but as part of that you know I think we got buy in to the idea that okay, business is the only way to make these values sustainable, right, and so now I think we have a team that is that is willing to be held accountable on on commercial progress. It's not quite the same as, as being super greedy for hyper growth, right? But willing to be held accountable on commercial um, uh, sustainability and results um, and, and also committed to doing something that, you know, we find a way so that millions of people can use it for free, that it can be that, um, that, that kind of entry point to the world of free software that it can be, you know, all of those things that I think are part of the, the, the social bargain that we made when we when we launched Ubuntu, right? Um, and that that was really tough, but I'm really really proud of the fact that now the the business is sustainable. Um, uh, so if I look out 10, 20 years, what does sustainable mean? Well, I could get hit by a bus any day, right? So, so what would happen to it? under those circumstances. And I, you know, the, 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 the way I see it, I think it would be good if the company effectively has a management team that has uh, an interest in its success, right? An ownership interest in its success. Um, that means that that's why we've put ourselves on the course to being a public company, right? It's, it's so that I can see a path to effectively succession, uh, uh, you know, future waves of management, right? Rather than a kind of personality-driven exercise, and and there's buy-in for that. So we would do. I mean, like we've stated publicly, we will probably do a pre-IPO growth round, right? We've got internal metrics we need to hit. Um, uh, we were uh, cracking well on that last year. This year, we we in February said, okay, 
let's reel back hiring, that will have reeling back consequences for us on revenue growth. But let's preserve cash and show that, you know, even though we we were sustainable last year, we can be sustainable in an economy that's crazy. And we've more than done that, right? Didn't know how bad this year could get for us, but actually, you, you know, we've we've um, uh, we've done well, and um, you know, touch wood. Um, uh, I think that's a really really good sign. I think if you if you can survive, if you can weather a storm, then it says something about your bones, right? Your 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 DNA. Um, so I feel very good about this year. I I um, and what a year it's been. I think everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you qualified that. Huh? So, I mean, you've you've obviously been providing guidance as CEO to the company, but where do you get your guidance from? Because you know, I'm sure that at that point when you when you needed to make that tough decision to lay folks off, you'd never had to do that before to that kind of scale. And um, in terms of how you're navigating running and building a business and balancing this unique combination of products and services with you know with the with the ethos of ubuntu of, of being open of being accessible to folks like how have you like what's what wh- how have you been helped in that? i guess what is what i'd like to get to like do you have a set of mentors that you kind of lean on or is it like how have you kind of navigated those waters? when in in the sort of in between time between kind of thought and canonical when i was kind of doing this and jetting there to do that and meeting all these, you know, fancy people. I did, I did DeVos a whole bunch of times, right? <laughs> right. And DeVos brings together, you know, famously, you know, the, the, the high and mighty. And I only had to do it twice to realize that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Nobody knows what they're doing. Like really they don't. You know? Right. Some of them are quite fun. Some of them are utterly hopeless. Um, but everybody's just making it up. And then, and then I read like there's some famous scientist that went around and figured out, yeah, everybody's just making it up, right? Right. And you try hard, you really do. But you know, if you are running something that's never been done before, really, you're just making it up, and you make it up as best you can, right? And you take advice as best you can, and you you caucus with the best team you can, and then you make it up, right? Have a go. And and. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if you cavalier about that, it probably won't go well, right? But you know, I I feel pretty good about the the lines we've chosen to dig into. You know, um, we haven't always pulled it off, for sure. And there've been a couple of of um, dead ends, but you know, I feel pretty good about how we've figured out alliances with companies, how we've, you know, figured out of all of the complexity of open source, what what was the right stuff for us to, to take responsibility for. Um, uh, you know, in a parallel universe, maybe we've done much better, but, but, but I think it's worked That's out. a slippery slope of self-evaluation and potentially self-doubt as well. Um, <laughs> Where have you found, as you've again, as you've as you've as you've made previous decisions, but as you kind of go into the future, it's easily, I think, it's easy to get um, uh, emotionally attached to ideas. And you know, you touched on this earlier on, Mark. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that um, you and the work that your team was doing with Launchpad um, 
really kind of was GitHub before GitHub, right? There was a lot of amazing kind of deep work going into how people collaborate together in a, in a distributed way. There was a lot of innovation with Ubuntu One, and there's a lot of innovation happening with Snappy and various other pieces. And it can be easy, I think, for us to get attached to ideas. And it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, as this journey has happened, you've been figuring out the right balance between, um, you know, the philanthropic element of building great software that people can use, focusing on interesting and innovative ideas, but also just taking a hard, cold, you know, practical approach to building a business and driving growth. How have you, what have you learned over the years in terms of striking the balance between those? Because I imagine that every entrepreneur has kind of has learned the right and wrong way to do this in different ways. Yes. Um, well, the first thing I'd say is, is you know, the rewards don't come for just having the ideas. Um, uh, and they don't necessarily come to the people who have the ideas first. So so don't be too attached to that. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, there have been lots of cases, as you say, where, yeah, we were we were barking up the right tree. We just didn't we just didn't climb it. Um, uh, I remind myself when that happens of the opposite. Right. When I was a kid in a garage in Cape Town getting into digital certificates, none of those ideas were mine. Other people had those ideas, um, figured out the mathematics, figured out the protocols. My contribution was was pretty small. Right. Um, not not I'm not trying to be smug about that. I'm, I'm actually saying that, you know, um, it is there's a bit of a roll of the dice there. And sometimes you're on the you know, sometimes you get the fame and the glory and the money and sometimes you don't. And that's kind of you've got to be OK with it both ways. Right. I can't, I can't turn around and, you know, say that, you know, thought was all, you know, a heroic splash um, <laughs> uh, of something, you know, and then and then something was just unlucky when we didn't get it. Right. So. So I think you've got to be phlegmatic about that. You do it because it's interesting, right? I, for me, there's, there's part of me that feels like I'm still getting to be a physicist, right? Um, we're figuring stuff out. This is interesting. It's interesting for business. It's interesting for the physics too. Like um, uh, deciding to build something, you know, um, like Launchpad is you're thinking about the physics. How, how would we connect these people? Is it interesting to connect these people? What would be important? Uh, you're doing science in a sense, right? Um, uh, so I don't get too hung up on the fact that we've had a bunch of ideas that worked and a bunch that didn't work um, or that other people did better with the same ideas, right? I think that's life and you've got to be a bit phlegmatic about that and sometimes you've got to give some ideas away and let someone else have the fun with them. Um, in terms of drawing the line on them, I think that, big thing that I've learned is that, you know, as a portfolio manager, effectively, um, you've got to have the right combination of idea and person, right? So the idea itself won't really blossom unless the person in whose hands that has been put, you know, really gets it and gets a bunch of things around it that end up being the necessary things to really bloom, you know? Thought thought worked because of a combination of using the right words, framing the money, the, the pricing the right way, figuring out the operations, you know, in, in a particular way. And, and those are all things that I just had some ideas about. Um, if, if, 
if you're if you're sort of for example if you're a VC and you know not a VC because when a VC you're always investing in someone who you think has the combination of those things but if you're an idea generator right if you're saying hey I'd like this thing to happen in the world whether it's philanthropic or or commercial there's a real risk that then you know half of the problem is done you've had the idea the other half of the problem is whose hands are you going to put it in right is it just work to them were they assigned to that right or is it like the most interesting and exciting thing they've ever done and they really get it and this is just amazing to them and i guess what i've learned is that is if you get confused about that you'll almost certainly be on the wrong side of of the result right so if you say look this idea is perfect let me just assign a team to it it's probably not going to work out um, and i've got lots of examples of 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 that lesson right um Where you mean well, you you believe in the idea, you believe in the people too, right? But you're missing that spark. You're missing that real sense that comes from 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 loving the problem and being deep into the problem and understanding what the competition would be thinking, and then just doing the right thing, right? So it comes naturally. I guess what I've learned is, you know, in a situation where you have the idea and you have no option but to put it in someone's hands, the thing to really judge, uh, you know, within Three months, six months, a year is, you know, is 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 this lighting a fire for them, right? Or or are they just trying their best to kind of whack the moles that that have been they've been told about, right? Are they are they essentially blind to you know the landscape and they're just trying to make their way through a complicated landscape, but they keep bumping their head against sharp objects? Usually, what you think, right? Um, and it sounds kind of harsh but when you're in a larger organization and you're trying to get stuff done you, you you know that is the real problem what stuff should we get done and then and then who who's going to get it done right can't be me and when you're when you're looking at people um so let's say you're you're hiring people today at canonical what would you say are the 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 key ingredients that you're looking for in those kinds of personalities because i imagine that one of the risks that you've got here mark is that you 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 share an idea or somebody else shares an idea about something and somebody seems excited but it's it's kind of for show and it's it's one thing to be excited and 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 motivated but to be able to then take that and convert it into action and drive results and um iterate and improve and do that in a collaborative way it's a pretty unique set of skills what are you looking for in that kind of ideal person to kind of take that idea and and to be excited and kind of run with it. Yes, you're 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 right that that is a sort of it's sort of like a dating game where <laughs> you know everyone's a little bit deluded about themselves and the other person, right? Um, um, the the most difficult lie to unpick is when someone's lying to themselves, right? You know, I would be amazed. This job is exactly what I want. Right, that, you know, I'm so perfect for this job. I'm so enthusiastic about this job. If people have convinced themselves of that, then then it can be hard to kind of see through that. Um, um, but but you know, obviously, it is the combination of ability and and passion. Um, uh, also, you, you know, I think understanding that in a career, someone's going to do many different things. So why focus too much on what this particular thing is? Right, if you hire a square peg for a square hole. You're going to have a problem with the next with the next iteration, right? Um, uh, I'm busy hiring uh, a, my next sort of cohort of product managers, 
um, which is really fun because product is where kind of everything comes together, right? The technology, the commercials, the partnerships, the messaging, the marketing. For me, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the fun stuff, right? That's where, that's where you really show your metal. Um, and so I go out and I say, all right, I've got these nine roles and, and they're in all of these different things. And um, here's why, you know, I think we can, we can do something incredible in the world. And interesting people show up, they send their resume. And if I like the resume, I say, okay, you do some work. You know, you map, you map out a plan. You tell me, you know, what you'd like to sell the world and, and, and why you're the right person to lead it and why we're the right company to deliver it. And it's amazing how many people go like, ah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that, that makes things much easier. Right? <laughs> it's a whole bunch of interviews I didn't have. <laughs> how, um, how, how involved are you um, in the day-to-day with, the, with the, the technical and the architecture? Because I think one thing that uh, some people may not know about you is, you know, I think some people will see you as this kind of a business leader, uh, Canonical, and your, you know, thought and everything else. But um, certainly when I was at Canonical, you were deeply, deeply involved in the architecture and the technical design. And I- I'll never forget, for example, being in, in Istanbul, um, at a, and I forget which event it was, and we were having dinner with you and this guy called Robert Collins, who obviously you know well. And the two of you were debating the like the very specific internal dynamics of the bizarre version version control system and and how it should be architecturally designed inside of the core. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that you are you operate at that kind of technical level, but as as a as as a CEO of a company, there's a balance right between building the business and kind of getting into the into the into the technical side. How have you struck that balance right now? Well, first by trying to get you know really really the right person on all of the difficult problems that we're trying to trying to solve. So you know if 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 I can't be in the room, I, I've got to have a lot of confidence in the people who are in the room. Um. Um. But also by by pulling the different threads together, it's it's not so much. I think I think you know we're now involved in a lot of you know cloud computing, uh, private cloud computing, edge cloud computing, micro cloud computing, and 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 IoT, and then layers of things you know left and right of that. Um, and so there's a ton of really really interesting stuff, and also stuff that has to be done very carefully and very correctly. Um, uh, the, 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 the role that I think I play now, um, is connecting the details between those different pieces because it's all got to work together, right? Although those things, we talk about them as separate things. They're sort of real to any, all of them are real to every organization, right? So, you know, in my great big set of buildings, I've got, um, you know, a little half rack, at the back of every building, that's a micro cloud, and I've got my public cloud estate, and then I've got my great big data center somewhere, which isn't going to go away. Uh, and and so all these different pieces and all these different places have to feel congruent. They have to feel like they really like the cogs kind of fit together. And it's basically impossible for that to happen if each team has their you know has their you know heads down on their piece right they may make a very good piece but it's 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 just not going to be the case that those pieces fit together um and so you know the 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 main thing i do now is 
pull those pieces together and challenge people to be aware of just enough of the other piece that they can build something that works really well with it. Um, and, and so, you know, and so that we get the feeling across all the different things that we're trying to do that, that it is genuinely easier to work this way. Right. Um, uh, and, and I get it. That sort of still comes back to the idea that if you're trying to enable other people to get great things done, right. Whether it's, you know, if you think of the Linux for human beings, right. I just want to get someone to be able to have a web browser and a, and a, and a, and a document editor, right. Spreadsheets and, and, and documents. Um, or whether you're trying to, you know, enable someone to go, you know, scale out a big data lake and, and machine learning um, infrastructure. Um, in the end, if, if you can make the details line up so that what they need to do is a lot easier, um, you make the world move faster, faster, forward faster, right? Um, and so, you know, it's not are the buttons going to be on the left or the buttons <laughs> going to be on the right, you know, important stuff like that. Um, but it's, it still feels like it's kind of lining things up so that you need a lot less grease to make the machine work. Right, right. And, and I love that. Looking look to the, the future, and well, looking where we are right now, especially with the cloud and with infrastructure, there's kind of there's two things I'd like to get your thoughts on. One is where do you see open source and infrastructure moving forward, right? And there's been an enormous amount of innovation in recent years um, as the cloud has become much more scalable um, in a variety of different areas. And there's obviously a much heavier demand on, on, on people building services and running them consistently. But also, um, there's a lot of businesses out there who are trying to figure out how to make money. Um, and open core, for example, is a model that a lot of people are talking about, you know, having a, an open source, a core open source piece of software, and then you have a, um, a product or a, a service that kind of glues into that or sits on top of it. Um, and there are many good examples of open core and there are many bad examples of open core. What are you seeing in your crystal ball moving forward as, as, as kind of the future of infrastructure and then how people actually make money from it when there's an open source component? Um, so I'm, I'm fine with open core. Um, uh, if, if I sort of step back a little bit, you know, the big debate in recent years has been, you know, between the, the infrastructure providers and the open source kind of innovators. Um, um, so first, I think what the what the public cloud guys have done is incredible. It's it's just incredible how much value you get um, out of I any of the major public cloud operators, right? They are incredible at what they do. Um, something exciting. That's something exciting behind you. Um, yeah, um, they're incredible at what they do. They've they 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 really raised the bar um, on on not just infrastructure, but the services that are just instantly available to, to, um, to enterprises. Um, and I think um, it's a real privilege to be in the middle of all of that and to be helping them deliver some of those services and helping people consume those very efficiently. 
you know, from Ubuntu. Um, uh, there has always been this idea. Of, I mean, I mean, it must be true that at the end of the day, there has to be give and take to make something work, right? Um, if I look at what Richard Stallman did, which is sort of brilliant, is he said, look, I will give you the software and then you will give me your changes, right? If you take my software, then you will give me your changes. You know, there's a pretty hard bargain there. Um, and, you know, pretty brutal actually, right? But very effective and very appealing. We then went through a phase where some of the larger companies kind of the pendulum swung and they pushed back and said, oh, no, no, Apache licensing. If you love something, truly set it free, right? Um, and I think what maybe they didn't appreciate is that that works really well when, you've, when you're basically in, an industrial monolith and you're using open source as a, bit of a, as a bit of a tactical weapon, right? I will commoditize my competitor's business by open sourcing um, you know, something that does what they do for margin. Um, uh, and so I think something like the Apache license works really well if, if you are a huge industrial concern and you're, you're essentially putting some big software out there and you want a bunch of small players to embrace it and run with it and make their own versions of it and create a thousand daggers that go straight to the heart of your competitor, right? Also a pretty brutal strategy. The, the give there is, you know, I, I, have a, I have an industrial, I have a lot of money and I have an industrial interest in essentially commoditizing that sector, right? Um, um, but what if you're a small organization and you can't do that, right? And we need the small organizations, right? Um, uh, you know, I watched some very large organizations mount a concerted effort to crush Docker. And you know, arguably Docker had, really lost the plot and 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 become quite um there's a lot of hubris there um uh but there was also just a sort of concerted effort to to crush it um and i thought that missed a certain point which is that without the dockers of the world you wouldn't get the next interesting thing there's certain sorts of things that the big industrial players can produce that a little company can't produce, right? But there are lots of really interesting things that are going to make the world, you know, much more interesting and create lots of value opportunities for the big guys. But they need small organizations to do that innovating because they really can't. Um, and so then the question is, what's, what's the mechanism by which that give and take can take place, right? What's the mechanism? And what's the mechanism that allows it to be open source? Because I believe in open source too, right? So that's why I'm okay with open core, right? I really am. I think, I think an open core is a fine way to, to, to get consensus around a common frame, framework and allow, you know, and, and, and enabling the organizations behind something to have space where they can deliver stuff that's unique to them, you know, it, it, it is a mechanism that works. Could there be a better mechanism that works? Maybe. But I think that's the test, right? Not, you know, do I agree with your ideology, right? But is there a mechanism which can encourage, you know, really smart people to, you know, take on some risk, go and do some innovation, 
uh, and be successful with that and have open source at the heart of that. Is there a mechanism for that? Well, open core seems to be the best one we found so far, right? Just to be clear, I don't think we do anything that's open core, right? I think, I think the position of an aggregator of content is quite different to the position of a specific piece, right? Like Ubuntu, because it's an, a massive aggregation of a thousand pieces, it behaves differently, right? Um, th this is really at the heart of the difference between, you know, you remember Ice Weasel, right? Remember that when, when Mozilla said, look, don't use your stuff unless we, we've got an agreement around it, Debian said, well, we'll just call it Ice Weasel, right? You can do that at the level of an app. You can't do that at the level of, you know, the entire platform, right? And so, and so we're in a slightly different position, but I really empathize with the position of the, the little innovators, right? The, 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 those guys. I think we need them to be successful. Um, even the very big guys need them to be successful. And, you know, there needs to be a mechanism for that to happen. So at the moment, you've got this big pissing contest over, you know, complex licenses that are, you know, effectively toxic for clouds, which is nasty, right? Um, and, but my sense is that, that the pendulum will swing, you know, we'll find a way to make both of those sides, you know, productive. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It also strikes me that <clears throat> some of the anti-open core sentiment that's out there, I think some of it is driven by people have very different definitions of what open core means. And, and there is a good and a bad way, I think, to run these kinds of organizations. And there's a lot of nuance that um, is, is complicated for, for, for people to kind of define and pick up on, yes. you know, so. Yes. And, and getting a, getting a sharply worded letter, you know, <laughs> from, from somebody else always gets the adrenaline going, right? Gets the... <laughs> Yep. An exchange of views. An exchange of views. So I, I want to make sure that I get you out the door on time just to, to, to kind of bring this into the finish line. Like what are you excited about next with, with Ubuntu and Canonical? Because you are you you, you oh, don't hang goodness. around. <laughs> what is getting you all juiced up right now? My goodness. So I, I, I'm really excited about small clouds. Um Small clouds. So, you know, you've got three servers, five servers, seven servers, and you want all the things that, that go with a, a cloud. You know, you want remote access and automation and API driven provisioning and all of those things. But you, you also need to worry about capacity. You know, who gets what core, what thread on what core, right? Um, and so I think that's a really interesting set of problems. Um, the key, the key things that, um, uh, I think are important there are very lightweight VM provisioning and um, of course Kubernetes. Um, so Microcates and LexD um, are, are two things that do that really, really tastefully. They do those, they solve those two problems really tastefully. Um, doing that, you know, in a very light way with really good um, high availability, very little in the way of, you know, admin overhead, um, essentially learning you know, from, from some of the challenges of, of OpenStack, which was built for the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Very big infrastructures. Um, and then, and then um, IoT, um, uh, you know, the combination of science and business is just so cool. Um, and 
on the big cloud side of things, it really is kind of like a war between the gods, you know, what sort of thunderbolt is Zeus going to throw <laughs> at, at, at Apollo tomorrow, right? right? You've got to be, you know, have billions at stake to be a player. Um, and, and the rest of us can only kind of assist. Um, uh, but in IoT, you know, you, you, there are just so many real opportunities, you know, for a better, uh, you know, a better way to keep ice cream cold or a better way to um, uh, make drones navigate through forests or a better way to, you know, just do something interesting with something. The idea of putting just the right piece of software on just a tiny piece of hardware in just the right place unlocks so many different kinds of entrepreneurship. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But it's a real joy to be part of, right? Like we 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 enable um, we, we're sort of really focused on trying to let people who love developing on Ubuntu be able to do that, and then put the software they developed on a million things that you do not have to SSH into or you know patch manage, right? And that's a really hard problem, but it's fascinating. And the lovely thing about it is just how people are, people are, um, what they're unleashing with that. Like there's just so many cool stories of cool things that you wouldn't have thought to do. But when somebody says, well, we're doing this, you're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to have a billion dollars at stake to do it. Right. So um, that's Ubuntu core. Um, and it's it's kind of amazing to see how many of the big industrial players now have fallen in love with that um, uh, and are doing just great things uh, and enabling people to do you know interesting things. That's awesome. Wow. So that's got me all fired all, up. all hot and bothered. Uh, <laughs> well, Mark, it was really great to to get you on here. Thank you for coming on. You know, as you know, I've always had a enormous amount of respect for you, just your your approach, and I think. The way you look at at the, at the past and, and learn and and grow and I always I've always admired your just sheer commitment to you know the ideals of of open source you know you've never forgotten kind of what got you into this and I think that's really cool and I really appreciate you coming on so all the best for the future and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. That's that's really very kind and um, thank you for the invitation. Mm-hmm.